Patriots has a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth. So, buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not going to stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah, thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people on RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, and Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor. It's Tuesday night, the 27th of February. Welcome to it. Good evening, Diane. Good evening, Craig. And how are you today? I am confused by our weather. You're not the only one. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Yesterday, here in north-central Nebraska, 71 sunshiny degrees. Today, a high of 11 and it snowed. Oh, dear. Okay. Now, just, by, by Friday, it's going to be back to the 70s. Okay. <laughs> I and don't here know what's in South going Florida, on. I just wish we'd start heading a little bit into the warm-up because I'm tired of freezing at night. Yeah. Well, you know, now, what do you classify as freezing at night? Uh, to me... When it gets into the 50s, I'm sorry, it's heater weather. <laughs> That's not right. Well, you forget, you know, people laugh at this, but when you've lived in the South most of your life, your blood is thinner, so you are more susceptible to being cold. That's been proven scientifically. Yeah, I know. I knew a lot of people like that when I lived in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you know, it, it get down to, I don't know, 55, 60 degrees, and they thought they were freezing to death. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, even though it'll warm up into the 70s now at this time of the year, sometimes the high 60s, which is a beautiful change from the summer, don't get me wrong. But after a while, that gets tiring, and we're so used to the heat right? that we look forward to the heat again. Well, see, but then in Phoenix, you had kind of the opposite, or not, I, I wouldn't say the opposite, but you had the extremes, because in the summer, it was 120 degrees. Yeah, we don't get that in South Florida, yeah. ever. And people that live there for most of their lives, if not all their lives, they say, oh, this is nothing. You know, and I'm sorry. 120 degrees is just cooking hot. Well, they say, but it's dry heat. 
Yeah, and, and my response was always, yeah, it's a dry heat in a pizza oven, too, but nobody sits in one of those to relax. Oh, that's a good analogy there. <laughs> you know, because holy crap. Um, yeah. Folks, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about tonight. Diane, your segment is Vote Wisely, America's Survival Depends on It. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. It's a fact. I'm talking about greenie weenies versus common sense. Okay. Okay. It all deals with electric cars. Usually anything greeny weeny has nothing to do with common sense. Or reality. True. But let's start with some quick hitters tonight. Uh, to, to kick things off, let's head east. We'll go up to uh, New York City. Okay. Mayor Eric Adams uh, seems to be wanting to do something with the sanctuary city status there, but he claims he can't. Yeah, he claims he can't. He could do anything he wants. He could just declassify New York City as a sanctuary city. They're wonderful. Use your air quotes there. Governor in New York can say New York is no longer a sanctuary state, but they choose not to. Yeah, I mean... victim it's the people of new york that are the victims not these guys what they're aiming for what adams is aiming for it's not really that he wants a solution to this he wants federal monies for it that's that's really what it comes down to now about a week week and a half ago eric adams was doing a town hall type of deal Mm -hmm. And one person after the next was getting up there complaining about the sanctuary city status, complaining about the the number of illegals roaming the streets, the violence that comes with them, the crime that comes with them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're telling Mayor Adams, just cancel the sanctuary city status. And really, it shouldn't be any harder than a stroke of a pen. Exactly. But he stood there and just looked at them like they were nuts. And then he would tell them, well, I I can't just do that. It's not as simple as it sounds. Well, how how hard was it to make New York City or any of these others a sanctuary city? Or how hard was it to make a state a sanctuary state? You just reverse it. Uh, Absolutely. And you know what's even worse about this is that sanctuary policies in New York City were actually adopted under the former mayors Ed Koch and Michael Bloomberg. Now, that was done in part to allow uh, police to hold those arrested and charged, you know, with any kind of crimes longer until the U.S. Immigration Service can come and get those people. Right. But it's been bastardized and changed over the years where it's basically, come to New York, you will get everything. In fact, one of the new rules in New York is that these illegals will be getting, I think it's about eleven or $1,200 visa cards every yeah. month. Every month. To use. I mean, it doesn't, you know, they, they're assuming, oh, you use it for housing or you use it for food. Come on. Who are they kidding? Well, you, you know... They keep interviewing these illegals that come across the border, and very mm-hmm. few of them want to work. And why would they? 
you know, if they can right. get everything for free, their housing, their education, their food, and cash on top of it, why would they want to work? Right, exactly. They they came with their, you know, hands out for the free ride. And New York City now is loaded with young men of military age. Be prepared for some trouble to happen in New York. But it's actually now reached a point where Adams is a worse mayor than Bill de Blasio. And that's hard to explain. That really is. I mean, de Blasio was horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, right now you've got this situation in New York with this illegal alien that killed the girl uh, down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy was in New York. He was arrested in New York. They let him go. I mean, and that's that's part of D.A. Alvin Bragg's deal. Well, if that ever happened to a child of mine that New York state government and federal government would be hit with lawsuits that they never thought they would have, and it would come from all ends. That's what I would hope. Yeah, I you hope know, her parents do something. You know, the the whole thing is set up to protect the criminals, protect the illegal mm-hmm. aliens, and let law-abiding citizens flounder. It's all set up for that. That's what these sanctuary cities do. The the illegal yeah. aliens get all the benefits, and the actual U.S. citizens wind up paying the price, whether it be taxpayer dollars or having somebody killed. Well, I have this new thing. If you're an illegal alien and you kill a U.S. citizen, U.S. resident, or a foreign visitor, and you are caught and you are proven that you were the killer of that person, I think it should be immediate death sentence. No appeal, no wasting taxpayer money on keeping you alive for decades. That's it. You're done. Well, and, you know, there's going to be people, liberals, that are going to scream, oh, but, but you know, uh, rights. You know, these people have rights. Well, they're not what about citizens. the rights of the people that were killed? Well, they're not citizens. Okay. Okay. So do our constitutional rights extend to non-citizens? No, not as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they shouldn't. Because the non-citizens who come here illegally are criminals by their very action of breaking our immigration laws. And nowhere in the U.S. Constitution does it say we must take criminals or lawbreakers. Well, and it's a giant middle finger to everybody who has actually come to this country by legal means, who have spent the time, spent the effort to become U.S. citizens, gone through the naturalization process, done it the right way, work visas, green cards, whatever the case Mm -hmm. might be, blended into society, became uh, an active participant in American culture. We're giving them the finger with all these illegals. It's like nothing they did even matters, and they don't matter either. Well, I have a solution to the the illegal problem, and it goes beyond what I'm going to present. Remind me to say this, Craig, after my segment. I've got a perfect (laughs) solution, and it will cost very little money. 
I'm not having a Biden moment, and I can remember to remind you, I will do that. Okay. Please don't have a <laughs> Biden moment. <laughs> you never know. I'm just saying, you never know. Um, today is the primary in Michigan. Um, mm -hmm. And it's both the Republican and the Democrat primary uh, in Michigan. Um, I do not expect Nikki Haley to do any better, really, than she did last week. Oh, I don't think she will either. I mean, you know, let's be honest here. She, the handwriting is on the wall. However, there is a certain part on that that you and I disagree with. Well, okay, you're right. We do. Let me let me put out there what I think is going on. Okay. Okay. And I know you don't agree. I know there are probably other people that don't agree with me, but I also know that there are people who do. So here's what I think is happening. Nikki okay. Haley is staying in this. She's not going to get out of this race. All of her big funding for her campaign is now coming from liberals. The Koch brothers okay. bowed out. Right. Okay? So all of her now, all of her big money donors are liberals. She is staying in this, but eventually, and I think maybe after Super Tuesday, she is going to switch from running as a Republican to running as a no labels candidate. Now, if okay. she does that, that will be automatic disaster for the Republican Party in the presidential race. She will split the vote with Trump, thus allowing Biden or whoever the liberal replacement is to win hands down. They won't even have to cheat. Okay. Now, I agree with you on some parts of that, but I disagree on others. Yes, she is being funded by big Democrat donors. We all know that. I am looking beyond that. I think Nikki Haley has the qualifications to be president based on her performance at the UN. We need somebody that's going to stand up to these, these Muslim nations, to Putin, whatever. I, I think she has the strength to do that. Am I happy she has Democrat donors? No. But I think I've also reached the point where I kind of agree with the great Ronald Reagan. We need to start working towards bipartisanship. I'm not talking about the far left folks by any means. I am talking about your Kennedy Democrats, your moderate Democrats, the ones that have some working brain cells. There's half a dozen you of them left in the country, you know. We, we do need to start some form of bipartisanship. Put the far left aside and put the far right aside. Now, as far as Nikki Haley causing, let's say, a Biden win, I do not agree with that. Because poll after poll have come out that 72% of Americans still do not want a Trump-Biden rematch. Also, 25 to now 30 percent of Republicans are saying they're not going to vote for Trump. And these are people that are not never Trumpers. And let me preface by saying I will do the right thing in November. People don't have to worry about that. But we have a percentage that said, nope, 
We're not voting for him. We are not never Trumpers. We just think he's the wrong person at the wrong time. So if that, let's say 25, 30% go over to Haley, then you have your crossover Democrats who are sick of Biden with the border policy and the crime and everything else, and they go to Haley. And then you have your independents who are not leaning towards Trump, but they're kind of, you know, well, we still don't know for sure. If she brings those independents over, she could actually be ruining it for Biden well, and possibly cause a brokered convention. Okay, so point counterpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So let me let me counter your counterpoint to my point, which I'm not sure is a point or a counterpoint. But we'll sort that out later. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, once the convention happens and Trump is officially named the the nominee, and I think that's a foregone conclusion at this point, he will be the Republican nominee. Um, I agree. I think a lot of it probably depends on who he picks as a running mate. But I think a good portion of those people that are kind of on the fence or say, well, I don't think he's the right guy at the right time. When they look at whether it's Biden or Gavin Newsom or some other liberal, they're going to fall in line. The Republicans, I think most of them, not all of them, because the never Trumpers will be never Trumpers. Right. But I think the vast majority of the Republican voters will fall in line and do the right thing and vote for the nominee, which is going to be Donald Trump. Now, I'm not convinced that Nikki Haley is going to get crossover votes coming from the liberals because historically, they all seem to fall into lockstep at the last minute and they just don't split their vote. I agree with you on that. However, the reports that are coming in from individual states, there are many, many Democrats unhappy with the economy. It's hitting them personally. And quite a number of them have said, we're not voting for Biden, but we're not going to vote for Trump. So who does that leave them with? But Nikki Haley, the thing is, Nikki Haley has to still be on the primary ballots. And I don't know if she still is in all the states. And she has to file by a certain time with a certain amount of votes and monies in her coffers to be able to be put on the November ballot. So that's not a, you know, a given deal that she's going to be on it. That's true. That's very true. And there are uh, a few states um, where if you start running as party A, you can't then in the middle of it shift and be party Correct. B or party C. Correct. Um, there's some people, some indicators say there's two states, others say there's 28 states. So if she makes that jump to no labels, I can see court cases and, and all sorts of stuff coming from that. And of course, that's just what we need is more court cases involved in this election. But, you know, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting point, counterpoint. Um, I think there's valid reason to believe what I'm saying, as well as I think there's valid reason to believe what you're saying. 
And this is one of those deals that time will tell. And as we get closer and closer, uh, you know, to the convention and closer and closer to the actual election in November, I think we're going to get a clearer picture. Right now, it's all speculation. Absolutely. And and for the record, I just want people to know, I am not a never-Trumper. And I have never been a never-Trumper. I preferred somebody else. Yes, I freely admit it. And I think that person will be president in 2028. Hear that, Ron? But um, <laughs> You and Ron I are on not. first name basis. Right. I am not a never-Trumper. I will do what is the right thing come November. But I also know it's not so terrible to have options. And that that much is true. Um, and like I said, time will tell. Uh, I think she's going to jump and and try to run no labels. You might be uh, right. I, that's might just... Be. That's just the way I see it at this point, but mm-hmm. we'll wait. We'll wait and see. Uh, but it makes for good discussion, and it makes for good radio. Yeah, yeah it you does know? because we don't have to agree with ev- You know, with everything. Right. I'm not far right. I'm right. not this ultra conservative. I am a constitutional Republican. Yeah, and I am there too. is a difference between that and a conservative Republican. Absolutely, and I fall into that category just as you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of the social issues and things, I I just don't care. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think a lot of these social issues have no place in federal politics. I agree. You know, but to be a true conservative conservative, you almost have to be one of the holier than thou's. And I'm not that. (laughs) And I'm obviously not that. But speaking of Biden and Trump, both of them are going to be in Texas on Thursday. Oh, isn't Texas lucky? Texas is lucky I mean, to have Trump that's coming. That's going to be a joke. I wonder, will Biden get closer than Kamala Harris did with seven miles? Yes, yes, he will. And I'll tell you how this is going to work out, okay? Not good. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not good. Um, Trump is going to Eagle Pass, Texas. And we all know that is the hotbed in Texas. Okay, that is Correct. the Eagle Pass, Texas area. That's where thousands upon thousands are flooding across all the time. Yes. Okay, so so he's going to literally to Texas and the illegal alien ground zero. Biden, on the other hand, is going to Brownville, Texas. Now, you may and, and Brownville is directly on the border. Brownville yes. is clear on the east side at the south, you know, southeast Texas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you may ask, well, it's border. He's going to the border. What's the big deal? Well, in Brownville, they average about two to 300 illegals a day where they're averaging thousands a day over an Eagle Pass. Right. Now, also, when Biden, a few months ago, when he went to El Paso, they cleaned it up. They got mm-hmm. all the illegals out of there. They sterilized the area. They yep. made it look neat and clean. Don't be surprised if this photo op in Brownville for Biden on Thursday is a lot the same. 
Oh, I, I wouldn't be one bit surprised about it at all. Seriously, it's going to look like, oh, look how good I'm doing. Aren't I wonderful? You know what I saw, though, this afternoon on one of the news broadcasts? They were interviewing, and this was on Fox, folks. They were interviewing illegals, asking illegals, who are you going to vote for and who would you prefer as president? Biden, 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 Biden. Biden. But what gets me mad about this, who are you going to vote for? In other words, illegals are going to be voting? Yeah, that is the wrong way to pose the question. The proper way is who would you prefer to be the president? Mm -hmm. You know, um, because that takes the voting angle of it out. But even when you ask who would you prefer to have as president of the United States, it's Biden, 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 because Biden mm-hmm. is the candy store. Biden's the one that's given them everything. Biden's mm-hmm. the one that's given them free housing, given them free money, given them free education, free health care, you know, free transportation, you name it. Well, let's add one thing to that. Yes, Biden is giving, giving, giving. But Biden has been ordered to give, 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 give. by obama and soros right so it doesn't really matter um you know whether it's biden or the biden replacement as long as there's a liberal in the white house that's what these illegals care about they don't want a republican in there they certainly don't want trump in there you know um now you know trump is like i said he's going to eagle pass and that's good. That's the hot bit of activity. And he is obviously going to talk about what a disaster the border is. He will talk about uh, how when he left office, border crossings were at a 45-year low. Um, you know, not perfect, but certainly much better situation than we see now. While Biden in uh, Brownville, Texas, is going to be blaming everything on the Republicans in Congress. He's going to blame a broken system that he's going to say he inherited a broken system. Well, he'll say that if he can remember how to read the teleprompter. But, you know, he'll talk about inheriting a broken system. It wasn't broken. He's going to talk about how the Republicans in Congress are preventing anything from getting done. That's not true. He's going to talk about this bipartisan border bill, which literally allows 5,000 illegals a day to come through, and it also sets up a situation by which illegal aliens will sit down, Diane, and grab onto something, be allowed to vote. No. No. Any Republican that goes for that should be voted out come November. They, sh- I, I, I think they should be publicly shamed. I agree. Our just constitution you- says voting is a right, but it's a right for citizens. Yeah. These people are not citizens. They are criminals by the very means that they got here illegally. They have no I, right to vote. I 100% agree. I'm just telling you how this bill is set up. And the yeah, sad no, part of this thing, you know, you say, well, you know, we need some bipartisanship. This is a bipartisan bill, and it sucks. I don't mean bipartisanship like this. 
trust me, this is not what I mean. I'm talking about Reagan era bipartisanship. I'm talking about the Kennedy era when they, uh, the two houses worked together to get us to the moon in record time. I'm talking about that kind of bipartisanship. I know. I'm talking about remove the far left and remove the far right and work with the moderates in both parties. Because let's be honest, Craig, the far left and the far right could shake hands together. Yeah, they're, they're really that close, basically. Yeah, just just on uh, you know going around the back way. You right. know, and and that's that's not going to lead to anything good. No, it isn't, and it hasn't. You know, so it's you know this this thing on Thursday. You know, uh, the the duel at the border is what I'm calling it. Um, I it, I'll tell you what the most interesting part of watching this is going to be is the reaction of border control agents, border patrol. Uh, yeah. ICE agents, I'll bet you they go nuts for Trump, and I'll bet you they sit on their hands for Biden. Well, I personally like to thank Florida Governor Ron DeSantis because um, late last week, over the weekend, also he has sent over a hundred patrol um, Florida patrolmen over and and part of our state militia over to help out at the border. And he intends to send more. Good for him. Good for him. Yes. That's fantastic. All right, folks, we've hit the bottom of the hour. That means we have to take a quick break. 30 minutes from now, I'm talking about greeny weenies versus common sense. But when we come back from this, the bottom of the hour break, Diane has it with Vote Wisely, America's survival depends on it. Stay with us. There's more on Right Side Patriots after that. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both 
on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on rspradio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. It's Tuesday night, we're getting you through it, and if you miss any part of tonight's show, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, this show in its entirety and all the rest will be there waiting just for you. Yes. All right, Diane, I don't know if people realize it, but there is an election coming up in a few months, (laughs) and there's a lot riding on this election, and I think that's probably a a ginormous understatement. Um, I agree. To that effect, you have put together an op-ed for this week, Vote Wisely, America's Survival Depends on It. And folks, it sure does. But let me begin by saying, quote, they've weaponized government, and he's saying, I'm a threat to democracy. Now, that was former president, now candidate Donald J. Trump at a rally in Iowa before January's Iowa caucus. So as uh, primary season now heats up, it is important to remember three things. One. America is not a democracy, contrary to the Democrats' forced-upon-us claim, as we are and remain a republic, a constitutional republic. And it's high time people understand that and act and govern accordingly. Two, Trump was and is 100% correct in saying that our government, under Joe Biden, has been weaponized against any and all who do not march in lockstep with his and his puppet master Obama's far-left radical agenda. And three, the Democrats have had eight long years, four when Trump was president and the four under Biden, to perfect, if you will, the fix. Perfected to such a degree that there will be no question as to whom the next president will be. In fact, in Democrats' minds, it's already been decided. After all, our Republican Party remains too busy fighting amongst themselves to have done or still do anything of substance to make sure a voting fiasco like 2020 does not happen again. Remember, money talks. Politicians are bought and paid for. Backstabbing deals continue to be made. Mystery mail in ballots will, as always, suddenly appear. Machines and tallies will again be tampered with. And besides, as I write this, over 72 plus percent of voting Americans do not want a Trump v. Biden rematch. This author surely included. And while I have come to terms with the fact that Donald J. Trump will be the Republican nominee for president, that does not mean I have to like it. Simply, I don't. I wanted Ron DeSantis to head the Republican ticket, but I am smart enough to know that while someday he will be president, it will not be in 2024. Please hurry up, 2028. So now that leaves me and many others with five options. One, vote for the Democrat, whomever the final nominee is. Two, vote third party. Three, leave the presidential line blank. Four, 
write in any of the former Republican candidates of your choice, as some are saying they will do, or five, suck it up, put the clothespin on your nose, and vote Trump. And while I take my right to vote seriously, like I'm sure many of you do too, in fact, I have not missed voting in an election since I started voting at the age of 18, also know that at this point in time, only numbers four and five are viable options for many more folks than most think or want to believe. But know that when November comes around, I will cast my vote for whom I believe is best for my country at this most critical and optional point in time. I am, after all, an American patriot. And while my family will always come first, my country and the freedom she affords us are right behind in second place. And besides, I would never vote for a Democrat president, nor for a third-party spoiler, which means that none of the first three options are an option for me. Why so? In regards to the Democrats, it's because today's Democrat Party is so far removed from the JFK Democrat Party, a Democrat Party who, while different from we Republicans in how we view and interpret the laws laid down in the Constitution, I was still a party, it was, I should say, still a party that loved this country and for whom bipartisanship was not a dirty word. And Craig, as far as voting for a third-party spoiler in this most critical of election cycles, I truly believe that doing so is not the best way to go in 2024. And while a third-party vote sends a much-needed and powerful message to both the Republican and Democrat parties that one is not happy with either of those parties' candidates, not to be forgotten is the fact that no one running as a third-party candidate has ever won or even come close to winning a major election. And this makes voting third-party, especially in this particular election, seeming like nothing but a wasted vote. To me. You know, you mentioned, you know, the Kennedy Democrats and the Reagan Republicans and, you know, all of that. You know, that was a, that was a different era. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we still have Republicans and Democrats. You know, on the mm-hmm. Republican side now, you know, we've got a fractured party. We've got some Republicans. We've got some conservatives. We've got some of the you know, they label themselves the Christian right or the Christian conservatives, Right. you know, and it's all over the place. What about the left side of the aisle? What are we looking at on that side of the aisle now as opposed to the old Kennedy Democrats? Well, let's put it this way, you know, really how sad it is that today's Democrat masses, along with most, if not all of its fire. Uh, party hierarchy are so far to the left that the very party itself borders on Marxism come to life. And with folks like Barack Obama no longer even trying to hide in the shadows, he, as both Joe Biden's and the party faithful's puppet master, does stand to gain his fourth term in office. And knowing this is the very thing that will help Joe Biden garner not just wayward and still undecided Democrat votes, but left-leaning independent votes and diehard never-Trump votes as well. Not a pretty picture, I'd say. 
Not a pretty picture at all. For even if every Republican rallied around President Trump as the Republican nominee, thus putting party loyalty above all else, I'm still not totally convinced that Trump could win in November because the fact remains that it's independent voters who, more times than not, decide in elections winners and losers. And now with many independents still on the fence, so to speak, about whom to vote for, after all, Trump has alienated not only a significant number of more moderate Republicans with his silly name calling and debate refusal, many women of all ages for what should be obvious reasons, along with hope for crossover, more moderate Democrat voters, we could in the end find that the majority of the independent vote went instead to a third party spoiler candidate. Simply directly and to the point, without a significant number of the independent vote going to Donald Trump, I do not see a way he can win in November. Primaries are one thing. The general election is something quite different. And besides, even if Trump were to skirt the short-to-come attempted Democrat fix, voting irregularities, the politically still correct, uh, correct, like to call it, and pull off an election win, it could be but a hollow victory at best, for we still might be facing a scenario on par with an actual Trump loss. And Craig, do the words impeachment ring a bell? Yeah, it seems I've heard that term once or twice. Once or it, twice? It once or twice, times. you know? Um we don't have to look very far back. We, we actually have recent historical data um, for what happens when we on the right side of the aisle think we've, we've got a big wind at hand, right? Right. Right. Well, you know, we just have to go back, remember, to the 2022 midterm disaster and how a red wave was predicted, which instead turned out to be anything but, and how the hope for face-saving word underwhelming was freely bantered about, even with us taking back the House but by the slimmest of margins. And in the interim between then and now, not only did the House Speaker position change hands, Trump loyalists saw to that, but the infighting within the party itself grows stronger and nastier by the day, especially after losing an all-important New York House seat in a special election just a few short weeks ago. And dare not forget our other 20 22 election loss, as in our failure to retake the Senate, what with the Democrats having successfully flipped four seats in their favor. In fact, the four Senate seats lost were all in important swing states, and all who lost were high-profile MAGA candidates endorsed by Trump himself. One just needs to look to Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada to see but a few examples of how said 2020 and 2022 Trump endorsed down-ticket candidates lost, lost in what were competitive races. And no, it can happen in 2024 as well. And this is especially important in regards to independent voters who do not 
only not have the guilt trip of party or candidate loyalty to deal with, but who tend to vote more in regards to a candidate's substance and what they bring to the table in the way of change from the political norm. And when you add in voter dissatisfaction with the Republican Party in general, coupled with the ongoing dissatisfaction of having to vote between what many call the lesser of two evils, the fact remains that if we do lose the House and fail to retake the Senate, a Trump presidential win would basically be meaningless. Why so? Remember, I previously stated the dreaded word impeachment. Well, Craig, the fact remains that without Republican control of both houses of Congress, no, a third Trump impeachment is sure to follow, and it will most probably be in record time, thus rendering the Republican Party truly irrelevant, not just for Trump's what would be a true lame duck one-term presidency, but for many years, if not a generation, to come. So for people putting all their eggs in the presidential basket, that may be the wrong thing to do here. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you and I have a history of always looking at the bigger picture, and I think that's what people probably need to do right now. Absolutely. And please don't think that Trump's retaking the White House is solely what November is all about. It's not. Actually, the down-ticket House and Senate congressional wins are just as important, if not more so. Simply, November must be about a total course change back to the right if our country is to survive even semi-intact. Remember, no matter what Biden or his people say or use as their talking points to rally their masses, the truth is that our economy remains not in good shape as everyday Americans see wages not keeping pace with the costs of essential goods and services like groceries, the price at the pump, homes, health care, etc., what I call generalized affordability, if you will. Unemployment numbers are starting to rise again, as they usually do after the holiday season is over. Inflation is not really declining, as it is status quo at best. Our southern border remains an unmitigated disaster. Crime is on the rise, especially retail crime, and the Middle East and Europe are both on the brink of all-out war. Hamas, Iran, and Vladimir Putin have well seen to that. Simply, if this November's race is indeed locked in to be Trump v. Biden once again, when you go to cast your vote, at least not forget how good our economy was while Trump was in office. Remember how energy independent we were and how the climate chain looms were kept in check? And also that Putin and Iran feared us more than we feared them. Then the choice between the two so-called lesser of two evils becomes a bit more palatable to cast. And if with a Trump win, another impeachment is on the Democrats' horizon, at least that will keep them busy too busy to screw up our country any more than they already have. We as a nation can survive another what would be drama-filled four years of Trump, political baggage, courtroom appearances, and all. 
what our beloved American Republic cannot survive is four more years of Obama's socialist Marxist-driven fundamental transformation of America, courtesy of Joe Biden's again happily dancing on his now totally knotted up puppet strings. Case closed. You know, this this is one of those op-eds I think people need to uh, get the link to. They need to read it, and they really, really need to share it everywhere. You can go to the patriotfactor.blogspot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either way, mm-hmm. you can get the link, and we hope you share it under the title, Vote Wisely, America's Survival Depends on It. You know, in the op-ed, you you know, bring up, and and rightfully so, uh, you know, the Reagan era, uh, you know, Reagan, Republicans, Kennedy, Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, You know, one of the things, you know, when you get down here, uh, you know, to the bottom of this op-ed, and you talk about, um, you know, the, the whole thing, you know, the affordability factor. Right. In that. It was Reagan who, in his campaign, said, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And obviously, the the answer was no, because people voted Reagan into office. Right. Um, And, and, you know, we can ask that same question today. If we want to be Reagan-esque, we can ask just point blank. And I don't care what side of the aisle you ask, uh, right side, left side, doesn't matter. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Is the uh, cost of gas better for you today? Is the cost of groceries better for you today? Is the cost of a mortgage uh, better off for you today? You can just run down the list, you know. Um, And if people are going to be honest, the answers are going to be no, 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 and no. Right. And that's from most Americans. And, you know, something that people fail to understand even wealthy Americans are affected by what's going on. Sure. Don't think that just the middle class or the lower class is affected. Every American is affected to one degree or another by what O'Biden, as some love to call him, um, what's been done to our country affects every American across the board. Yeah, it does. There's no doubt about it. And obviously around the kitchen table, you know, all the conversations right now are really about two, maybe three main things, the economy, crime, and the border. Yeah. Okay. But you cannot dismiss the situations going on around the world, which is why I'm glad you included those in this op-ed. You've got the situation Mm -hmm. in the Middle East. And the more destabilized the Middle East is, the worse it is for everybody around the world. You've got the same type of situation going on in Russia. You mentioned that with Vladimir Putin. Don't leave out China and Taiwan and and North Diarrhea in all of this because they are destabilizing that region of the world as well. Also, don't forget that when Putin's done in Ukraine, he if he is successful in Ukraine. He's going into Poland next. Once from Poland, he'll go out from there trying to retake all the former Soviet satellites. But in regards to the border, 
last week I had written a big border article. Well, over this past week, I've been thinking, I brought up in that article, and it kind of relates to this article as well, certain border solutions, the security envelope. Oh, oh I, was supposed to, I was supposed to remind right. you to do this. So Well, I, I didn't have a Biden moment, so I remembered it. Yeah, well, okay, I, I, I was having solution. one up until you started, so I'm, I'm just making up for it now. Okay. I have a better solution, and it will cost very little money. Everybody is clamoring that we need to build a wall, that a wall will stop this. No, a wall will not stop this. There are always ways to go over or under a wall. The security envelope is at the bottom of what should be done. We need a security envelope, which is a wide swath of land running along our border that basically becomes a no man's land. But we don't need to be a, to build a wall on it by any means. All we have to do is landmine it randomly all along the border, up and down, row after row. These people are coming here illegally. The ones that are coming here illegally, let them stop in Mexico, let them do the paper process, and if there's legitimate, there's ways to cross the border. But anyone else, I'm sorry, landmine the whole damn border. You know, it's cheaper than building a wall. It will be more successful than building a wall. And this sounds mean. I don't mean it mean. I mean it logistic-wise. After a few landmine deaths, the border situation will be stopped. I, I don't disagree with you, but I think there's some international treaties that might preclude nope. that. Nope, there's been, I already looked that up. The border is between us and Mexico. There's nobody else on the southern border that we have a border with. It's Mexico. There is no such treaty, uh, no such wording in anything regarding landmines or no man's land. All right, all right. It's a cheap solution. It would be effective Almost immediately, people will get the hint, we cannot cross. We don't know where the landmines are. We're taking a tremendous risk. Plus, at the other side of the no man's land, we have some of our military, Texas National Guard, anybody that wants to help, positioned along the border. That will stop it once and for all. It'll stop the drug dealers the human traffickers, and the illegals. I think if we but, militarize the border, we solve the problem. Right. Nobody has the guts to say, by the way, folks, yesterday I tried to put this up on Facebook. I oh, made yeah, how'd that Facebook go for you? Blocks, and I hit post. Immediately, I'm talking within one second, I got a message from Facebook that says, this goes against our community standards. You might not have known. So if you take it down, nothing further will be done. 
Well, of course, I had to take it down or Craig and I wouldn't be able to you right. know, operate like we operate. But this is when you think about it and get over the whole nonsense. Oh, well, you know, what about a child coming across and this and that? Right now, we don't see any children coming across. We see young men coming across, young military age men. We see the murder rate in this country going up because of illegals. The poor, you know, girl um, in Georgia who was studying to be a nurse is the latest example. We have to stop this. We have to stop acting like Craig's favorite word, weenies. We have to take action now because it's going to get worse if Biden is reelected. And Trump, if he starts just on building walls, that's not going to work, folks. That's not going to work. They'll come over the walls. It happened in Israel. Yeah. That same mode of canvassing over a wall can happen here. It'll slow things down. It'll slow things down, but it won't stop it. You know, you've got to deploy the military along the border if you want to really seal up the border. You've got to put the policies that Trump had back in place. And you have to landmine it. And and you got to enforce the rule of law. You know, and landmining it is part of militarizing the border, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, because that's a military thing. It's not a, you know, it's not a private entity thing. That's the military. And Um, it can also be the, it could also be the Texas and Arizona and uh, New Mexico. California would never go for it, but it could be the, um, you know, the border states can also use part of their own resources to do it. Right. You know, it's going to take a multi-pronged approach. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, I don't know that the military alone or militarizing the border alone uh, will stop it, you know, and I I still think you got to go after the cartels on the other side of the border. Well, yeah, you know, that I think was it's Ron all, DeSantis's. Yeah. If you remember when he was campaigning, that was his idea. Right. I will send, if I'm president, I will send our military over the border to take out the cartels. Yeah. But then again, if you have the no man's land, the security envelope, and you have landmines there, they're not even going to cross it because they're not going to know where they are. Right. You, you Here's the bottom line on it. If you're going to solve the problem at the border, if you really want to solve the problem at the border, you cannot send a strong message. You have to take decisive action. Right. And I your mean, actions will be the thing that sends the message. Right. So, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. This this particular op-ed, um, once again, folks, go to thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com or rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get the link and read through it yourself and share it everywhere. People need to know, point blank, what's at stake in this upcoming election. And it's more Mm -hmm. than just Trump v. Biden. Exactly. You know, it just is. All right, with that, we have hit the top of the hour. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, 
Greenie Weenies versus Common Sense. Stay with us. There's more to come on Right Side Patriots after this. Hi, guys. Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's longtime Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen and Diane Sorry getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show, and if you miss any part of it, just go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, and listen to your heart's content. Mm-hmm. All right, so, of course, you know, one of the things we keep hearing about is all these electric cars, EVs, they call them, electric vehicles. Uh, and, of course, this is all driven by climate change. Oh, yes, the weather. The weather. Um, you know, and I got to looking at some of this stuff and there was something that came out in the news late last week that it's one of those things where the liberals tried to bury it. The, the mainstream media tried to bury it. They didn't really want people knowing about it, but I saw it and it got me to thinking, and that's dangerous when I get to thinking. That's true. It is. (laughs) So I wrote a commentary, Greeny Weenies versus Common Sense, and here we go. So the Biden regime is shuffling away from one of their big 2020 campaign promises to regulate car farts by cutting tailpipe emissions by 50% by 2030. Last week, Biden decided to put the brakes on the EPA proposed rules that would have forced nearly two-thirds of all new cars to be electric by 2032 due to new tailpipe emissions regulated standards. 
and there are several reasons for the sudden downshift. First of all, there's the price. The average cost of an EV is somewhere in the neighborhood of $51,000, while the average cost of a new gas-powered farting car is about $34,000, and that doesn't even get to the cost of replacing an EV battery should the one you have now die, which is on average about $15,000. Second, we have an infrastructure problem. Our electric grid can't handle the charging of EVs at the rate the EPA proposes and Biden promised. Over the past couple of years, in dense population areas like L.A., people were being told not to charge their EVs at certain times because the power grid couldn't handle it, and frankly, there just aren't enough charging stations anywhere. Last year, the EPA was more giddy than Kamala Harris at a school bus garage when they announced that over the past couple of years, 130,000 new charging stations had been built. What they didn't tell anybody was that in order to have enough charging stations to handle the mandate that 67% of all new cars by 2032 be electric, they would have to build at least 2.5 million new charging stations. Oops. And third, Diane, this past winter's cold snap, something many in the southern part of the country rarely experience, but something northern states are plenty used to, electric car batteries were dying faster than people with dirt on the Clintons. Newsflash, cold weather affects battery life. Just ask any wildlife photographer who's ever taped camera batteries to their body under layers of clothing when they go out to make images of snow foxes. Well, snow foxes, that's funny. Uh, It's very strange, you know, that we all know the American auto workers just hate this whole idea. But it's a two-pronged reason that they don't like it, as opposed to what the average person might think. Yeah, and it's it's odd because the UAW is backing Biden, but United Auto Workers as individuals really aren't. Right. You know, it's it's a strange situation. American auto workers hate the new proposed standards because it takes roughly 40% more man hours to build gas-powered vehicles and forcing more EVs into the marketplace would have cost lots and lots of jobs in the industry. It's an election year. The UAW has endorsed Biden, but auto workers as individuals don't want to lose their jobs and Trump is courting auto workers in the swing state of Michigan, where Biden's poll numbers have been falling. None of this is making the greenie weenies happy because they thought the proposed EPA mandates and Biden's 2020 promise were pure gold. Now the greenie weenies and indoctrinated young voters feel that they've been thrown under the gas-powered bus, but Biden would rather placate union workers and risk the indoctrinated youth vote. There are those who believe that backing off with the new proposed EPA tailbite mandates will hurt China. But that's not really the case. 
Yes, Biden is reliant on China, not only for a good part of Hunter's income and for the dispersal of it to various members of the Biden family crime syndicate, but also for the lithium necessary for EV car batteries. But China has an ace up their sleeve. How many people have heard of BYD? Now, BYD is a Chinese car maker, and they specialize in the EV market. In fact, BYD moved into the European car market just a couple of years ago, and today they own the EV market in Europe, thanks to the fact that they have much less expensive vehicles on the sales floor. They can do that because China is a commie country, and they don't have to pay their workers what our unions demand. But what does that have to do with our car market, you might ask? Well, in the next year or so, BYD is planning to set up a shop in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Diane, thanks to the law of unexpected consequences, NAFTA rules will allow BYD to ship cars made in Mexico into the U.S. absolutely free of tariffs, thus killing the market for U.S. manufactured EV sales and creating a boon for the communist Chinese government. Trust me when I tell you that Joe Biden is well aware of China's plan to flood the U.S. market with BYD vehicles because, A, I'm sure that Obama has clued him in, and B, Biden probably had a recent conversation with Mao Zedong, who died in 1976, (laughs) regarding the whole thing. Oh, that's funny. But I wouldn't, you know, doubt that that happened. But you know what's really funny about that? Well, it's not funny. It's actually sad. The American workers who build these EV disasters, I call them, um, they're kind of in a quandary. They're caught almost between a rock and a hard place. They are. Look, if American auto workers really want to keep their jobs and American car companies want to stay in business, they need to reevaluate their decades-old voting practices. Ford tried to fit in with the greenie-weenie demands in Biden's 2020 promise, but last year, Ford lost roughly $36,000 on every EV they sold. Common sense should tell them that they can't stay in business if these insane mandates ever come to fruition. And that Mm -hmm. leads to the question, will such mandates ever take a firm hold? I really doubt that they will. Americans aren't ready to bow down to such EPA mandates, and American infrastructure simply is nowhere near ready for them. Most Most of America is rural. And in rural areas where people have to drive distances greater than any average urban commute, EVs just are not practical. You're lucky to get 250 miles on a charge. And with charging stations few and far between, people who have to travel for shopping or for business across long stretches of open roads cannot justify either the expense or the inconvenience of an electric car. Back in 2020, the Wall Street Journal's Rachel Wolf decided to drive from New Orleans to Chicago, a 2,000-mile road trip in a Kia EV6. It did not go well. 
Her EV6 was rated for 310 miles on a full charge, but she barely managed 200 miles per charge. And to conserve battery power during a downpour and a tornado warning, she had to shut the AC off, shut off the radio, unplug her phone from the charger, and turn the wipers on to their lowest setting. Diane, most of the chargers she could find uh, on her road trip were not fast chargers. And Wolf said she literally spent more time trying to get a full charge than she did sleeping, waiting as long as up to three and a half hours to get her full battery charge. I actually remember that when it was happening, the story, and how I would shake my head and and just go, these electric cars are a joke. We, we know the logistics of building an electric car, but we do not have the process perfected, in my opinion. And, you know, there, there are great differences between what you can do with an electric car and what you can do with a gas-powered car. And I think maybe, you know, you can... You should kind of point out some of those differences because they're great. Well, and you have to understand certain things about these EVs. Here's the problem. If you have a gas car, you can pull up to any old gas station and use just about any pump, depending on whether you burn gas or diesel. And then you're back on the road in just a few minutes. But if you're driving an EV, you need to find a charging station specifically designed for the specific brand of EV you're driving, or you need an adapter. But know this, Mm -hmm. the adapters almost never allow you to fast charge your EV. And you, like Rachel Wolf, could be sitting there for more than three and a half hours for every 200 miles you drive. Remember, If you're driving in hot weather, the AC cuts into your battery range. And if you're driving in very cold weather, same damn thing. Now, let me put this into proper perspective. When I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, between Christmas and New Year's every year, I would drive to Rocky Mountain National Park, where I would tape extra camera batteries to my body and enjoy several days of photographing wildlife. It was a 500-mile drive. And my car had a 12-gallon gas tank. Now, I would drive from Lincoln, Nebraska to Sterling, Colorado, stop for gas, and be back on the road in about 10 minutes. In all, it took about eight and a half hours to make the trip. But if I did that today in an EV, having to stop every 200 miles and spend three and a half hours to reach a full charge, figuring on the cold weather between Christmas and New Year's, and having to stop three times, my eight and a half hour trip would take roughly 18 hours of windshield time plus an overnight stay each way. Now, while the argument against electric vehicles is a matter of common sense and simple math, the argument for them is much more complex. In a country the size of the U.S., gas-powered vehicles equate to freedom, but EVs equate to government control falsely masked as saving the planet from climate change. Well, even if you removed all the gas-powered cars, gas appliances, and farting cows, the climate will continue to change just as it's done since the Earth was invented. But electric vehicles allow the government to restrict your ability to move about freely 
And that's not all. For every gallon of gas you pump into your vehicle, the government assesses taxes. Do you really think that if they force a mandate to make everybody drive an EV, that they're not going to make up for that lost revenue? In that regard, the government has but three options. Either they will raise your taxes to compensate by much more than you're paying now per gallon of gas, or they will assess a tax at the charging station per every mile you drive based on data from your EV between charges, and that will exceed what you're currently paying for a gallon of gas, or Don't be one bit surprised if eventually the government forces you to purchase EV charging credits directly from them. And if whoever's in charge at the time doesn't like your politics, they can always just cut off your ration of credits. Let me be clear. The indoctrinated greenie weenies have no common sense and they're not being taught simple math. Excuse me. They're not being taught simple math in our nation's indoctrination centers. And the elected liberal cohorts they're in cahoots with have no intention of giving up their quest for ultimate control of the people. So, this climate change nonsense is bound to continue. But, as long as their appointed cult leader, John Kerry, continues taking private flights to climate change conferences, feel free to continue driving your gas-powered farting car, at least for now. Maybe someday a workable alternative to gas-powered cars will come along, but buying an electric vehicle today makes about as much sense as Dylan Mulvaney going to a gynecologist. That's the bottom line. (laughs) Yeah. That is basically the bottom line. These electric cars, we are probably a few decades away from really having the, the technology perfected. In the meantime, maybe we should spend more time producing gas-powered cars, you know, because the options with them are limitless as far as, you know, Uh, The amount of miles you can drive, depending on if you get a four-cylinder, a six-cylinder, an eight-cylinder, whatever. And, you know, really, how much pollution, if you will, because, folks, this is not climate change. This they, They still don't know the difference between pollution and climate change. Climate change does not exist. It's the weather. What they're complaining about, and for some reason they refuse to admit it, is the pollution. Maybe they're complaining about or ignoring the pollution because they don't know how to get rid of it. Well, and I think there's a lot to that. And and one of the best ways to get rid of CO2 is plant trees. Yes. (laughs) That's a natural filter. Right? I mean, Absolutely, and it's too easy for them to do. Well, they, they can't tax you for planting trees. They oh, can't they con- can tax you for anything. They'd find they a way. They can't control you for planting trees. You know, I yeah. mean, you know, it's it's just too simplistic. You know, 
I understand the tailpipe emissions thing. It's an effort mm-hmm. to cut down on pollution, if you will. But when you put forth a mandate that literally makes it so stringent that nobody can match it and force two-thirds of all cars to be electric by 2032 when we are nowhere near the infrastructure for that, all you're doing is forcing people to buy something that you can control them with, and that's the electric car. You know, maybe the better way to go about this is not so much tailpipe emission standards, but just continue as we have to increase mileage on these cars, on these gas-powered cars. You know, if right now, if if you're getting 25 miles to the gallon, okay, you're going to have less pollution if if the car gets 30 miles to the gallon or maybe 35 miles to the gallon. You know, and with... With the technology that we have today, we can make engines that burn cleaner, and we can make gas that burns cleaner. You know, so it's not so much about tailpipe emissions. It's about engines that work more efficiently, thus getting you more mileage, more miles to the gallon. That that really is the the necessary thing. Look, I kind of feel... You know, and, and Diane, I think you're probably right. It could be one or two decades, maybe maybe two, two and a half decades before mm-hmm. we have the technology to make electric cars actually viable, where, where you can get uh, three to 400 miles on a charge and where you can pull into any gas station and charge your car in 10 minutes. Okay. Right. But I think by the time that happens, I think by the time that technology comes around, we will have some other way to do this where you don't have to plug your cars in at all. And I'm talking about things like possibly hydrogen-powered cars. Oh, where, you think the government's going to go for that? Well, you know. Seriously? The, the only thing that comes out of a tailpipe of a hydrogen-powered car is water. Yeah, that's true. That's That's true in its own way. But that's... I think you'd have the ones, you know, the sky is falling sorts. Oh, yeah. Not going for that. Right. And they won't go for it because they, they, it's going to be too hard for them to screw the people out of the people's money yeah. if you do that, you know. But I, all I'm saying is there will be other technologies that come along that makes this whole electric car market look like a silly endeavor to begin with. I mean, one thing you don't ever want to have happen in your electric car, you don't want to have an accident because man, if those batteries rupture, you're toast literally. Oh boy, are you, you know, and you know, how many times now do we hear about somebody's car parked in their driveway, plugged in and recharging the flames? It just blows up. You know, yeah. I mean, this this technology is, A, it's not green, okay? B, the only place we can get enough lithium to make enough lithium car batteries is China. So all we're doing is really helping the communist Chinese. But that's what the liberals want. That's what Biden wants. Exactly. I'm really wondering, knowing that the lithium battery is coming from China... 
and knowing, you know, Hunter's up close and personal uh, relationship uh-huh. with China. Uh-huh. I wonder if any kickbacks are involved here. Oh, no, certainly not. Oh, no. And I have a better way of stopping the pollution anyway, Craig. Tell the politicians to shut their damn mouths. Well, that would cool things down. Wouldn't it, though? I mean, but think about how China is getting the lithium out of the ground. They're not using wind-powered shovels to get that out of the ground. Okay, They're using giant diesel shovels, and they're just tearing up the earth to do it. And the amount of pollution they put into the air just digging lithium out, the lithium batteries themselves, they will never offset that. Plus, what do you do with a giant lithium battery that powers a car when the battery dies? What do you do with it? You can't recycle it. You know how expensive it it is to replace it? Yeah, I've got it in the article. It it averages about $15,000. But what do you do with the old dead battery? You can't recycle them. No. So are they no. green? If it, if it takes carbon energy to get lithium out of the ground in huge amounts, and you can't recycle the dead battery, is it really green? No, it's not. Of course not. You know? No, it's not. Um, folks, there's two ways you can get your hands on this commentary. Go to my blog, thenationalpatriot.com, or go to rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get the link to this commentary, Greeny Weenies versus Common Sense. And just like you do with Diane's, I hope you share it everywhere. Yes. Hope you do, too. It's a good article. Diane, we're just about to the end of the show. I say we wrap this thing up early. Okay, I have no problem with that. So with that, I'll say nighty-night and see you guys on Friday. Folks, have yourselves a great rest of the week no matter where you are, and we'll catch up with you on Friday. Bye-bye.